Welcome to Inspire Campfire, a podcast where ordinary people tell their stories of extraordinary adventure. These are campfire stories meant to inspire the rest of us to light the fire within, get outside, follow our dreams, and return to tell our own stories. Ready? Let's strike the match. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Scott Wurzbacher, and today's episode is a love story that takes place in the great state of Montana. It's a story of two people who each gave up city life to follow a call to nature to more fully experience their love for the wild, for wildlife, and ultimately for each other. Our guests are Hannah and Mark Allenberger, creators of Bear's Den Essentials, a knitwear label for those who love being outside where the wild things are. Hannah and Mark are both highly educated and professionally experienced, and they've thoughtfully created their brand that brings together their call to nature, their shared values, and their passion for protecting the natural world. Montana's nickname is the Treasure State, named for its mineral wealth, but the treasure that Hannah and Mark found there is so much more. Hannah, Mark, welcome to the campfire. So good to be here. Really good to be here. Yeah. I'm so excited. Um, you know, we're going to talk a lot about Montana, and Hannah, as we were just talking, I you just gave me, you reminded me of a John Steinbeck quote, and I wonder if you could share that. That's a great way for us to kick off this episode. Yeah. So in his book, Travels with Charlie in Search of America, where Steinbeck is traveling around with his poodle Charlie, he says, I'm in love with Montana. For other states, I have admiration, respect, recognition, even some affection. But with Montana, it is love. So that's, yeah, I was just saying to Mark the other day, we were watching a documentary about our state and no other place has ever taken my breath away the way that this place does. And so Steinbeck's words ring true. I love it. That's such a great quote to kick this off. This truly is a love story. So guys, um, you were both separately city people that felt this call to nature. Mark from Orange County, California, and Hannah from New York City, and both found yourself just being called to Montana. And I just wondered if we could just start by just each of you guys individually telling us like about that calling like to leave city life and and head to montana so one thing that's really interesting is we both actually came out to montana the same year which was 2013 but we didn't re meet each other until a few years later but i came out unhappy coincidence i have been a huge fan of jane goodall my whole life and mm -hmm. i went to a talk by one of her colleagues mark beckoff and I was trying to figure out what I was going to write my dissertation on. And I had thoughts in my head about it. And he goes, oh, you should come out to the West to see, because they're about to delist wolves from the endangered species list, you might want to want to go and take a look at that. So I came expecting it to be like a one-week trip. I ended up falling in love with the place so much. And I fell in love with the work. And I completely retooled my plans. And it was the first time in my life I was ever like, I need to... I need to make Montana my home. And I have been so fortunate to have been here ever since. So you fell in love with it. You said you fell in love with the place and with the work. Can you talk about that a little bit? I was so fascinated because I came 
I was came, I came up pretty much a dyed in the wool greenie. I was really I worked with exotic animals around the world and also locally within the U.S. from penguins to orangutans. And I I came out to Montana with sort of an assumption about what I was going to find and like it's a very clear solution about what's the right thing to do. And I met so many folks from really from ranchers in really rural places and hunters and greenies and realizing that all of these binaried ideas that I had about who people were, first of all, were completely incorrect and oversimplified. And then Big Sky Country is the nickname for Montana. And I just was fascinated. There was one day I was just walking around and I watched a storm front come through and it was over 75 miles away. And I got to just appreciate that there was this whole like weather pattern happening in front of me that I got to watch on furl. And living in New York City and living around a bunch of different places, I just didn't get to experience something like that the way and it spoke to me on such a personal level and then part of my research was tracking the the migratory paths of large carnivores which was absolutely terrifying to be in grizzly habitat but at the same time like it was so electrifying and this was happening in a place that could be my backyard so to speak and it it was so thrilling and so exciting and I spend so much time studying ideas about like place identity and place attachment. And I was not going to question something that spoke to me on such an emotional level. And I knew I wanted to stay here and I really wanted to find somebody who I ended up finding who was Mark, who felt the same way and also wanted to share in appreciating that place with me. Yeah. And and so, Mark, I want to come to you. I want to make sure that we just come back to big sky country and what you just talked about, like the vastness of it, as opposed to like, especially New York City, where you're, you know, it's you're pretty tight. And when you're, you know, walking around on the sidewalks and you're looking around, you just don't get that big perspective. So I definitely want to come back to that. Mark, how about you? How did how did that you experience that call to nature from Orange County, California? Yeah, so mine was a little bit of a different path. So I'm California native, lived down in Orange County after college, after graduating in computer science and, you know, working down there for a few years and really getting burnt out and what I was doing um, in the, you know, and especially in the city life, you know, a lot of people. And, and so I, I needed something different. I needed a change that really sparked a new um, a new career change for me just to do something different. I wanted to get out of California. I wanted to experience something different. And in California, I always gravitated towards the mountains. And, you know, that was just in thanks to my parents who instilled in us, you know, you know, the outdoors. Move, getting out of California into a place like North Dakota wasn't for for me to live there wasn't the most exciting place, but I I knew there was something around there that was calling for me, and so I was on a rig break, and so I I took that that break for a road trip, and I went through Montana, and I started out on the High Line, went all the way across the north through uh, through Glacier. And then kind of did a U-turn through Missoula and then ended up in Bozeman. 
And I knew at that point um, that was the right place for me. You know, I think it's worth just mentioning a lot of times when we think about nature, we just think about these beautiful places, right? These beautiful serene. Orange County, California is beautiful, <laughs> right? It's not just beauty, right? Because there, it, Orange County is beautiful. So I'm just curious if you can, like, what, what else is there? There's another element, right? I think it's the, the being in, in such a big place, you know, that's, that's so expansive. Mm. And, you know, there's so many, there's animals that you don't see anywhere else. I mean, you see them in some places in other parts, in other states, but they're more prevalent in Montana. And just being in an area where there's more land and there's more animals than there are people is, you know, it's just, it's an attraction, you know, to, to that environment. I mean, like the cities are they're developed, right? It's wild. Um, so my sense, correct, correct me here. If I, my sense is, Mark, you were you kind of were like given an opportunity to go there, and you were excited about it. Hannah, it seemed. Tell me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like yours was more discretionary a choice. It was a place that was not on my radar at all, but I was always open. Like I've lived places where I was really excited about the work, but I wasn't excited about where I lived and. I am not a Southern belle, for example, <laughs> like it was, it was such a good experience to have that. And so I was, I try to remain like open to the possibilities of things, but it just literally never occurred to me. It was very much on a practical level, like, oh, I get to be a part and learn about this really interesting conversation happening and I'll get to see some animals in the process. But I think Part of that was coming from the place where I just assumed I would always want to move around my whole life because that's always the experience that I've had. And so I'm grateful to my younger self for being open to that and for just embracing it because it was not what I expected. I think, yeah. and I think Mark's family too, they're always like, so Montana, and now they're all on board and they come out. We last year we got married in February when it was negative 20. And so they really are like, wow, you must really love this place. <laughs> <laughs> That's commitment. And it's true. We we are committed. <laughs> yeah, I love this so much. So um I'm curious, like coming for both of you, coming from cities. Was there like a romanticized version of it in your minds? like going there and how did how did reality match up with that expectation for me it was i think it, it comes back to growing up and and going to national parks mm -hmm. you know with my parents on on camping trips or you know taking our tent trailer on a road trip to to zion or or to the grand canyon or or wherever it was um but we had never gone to Glacier. And, and so for me, it was just like this, it was this state that it was unknown to me. It was, there was a, something that needed to be explored for myself because I, I, I feel like I've explored almost every other state, but that one. And so there was this, like the unknown part of it. That's what drew me to Montana. It wasn't a question whether I was going to live in North Dakota. It was always like to be Montana, but I wasn't sure where in Montana. And Hannah, how about you? 
I was almost overly cavalier about not really considering what I was walking into. That's the only piece of this that I, I almost regret is that I, I didn't even know what I was about to get to experience. I flew into Jackson and you're kind of sitting there and then you fly in past the Tetons. You're like, where am I? Like, what, what am I doing in the best kind of way? And then we went up through the park into and came to Bozeman. And I was like, holy smokes. Like, <laughs> I didn't know what I was missing out on. And I was a beach baby. So I was always raised out on the ocean. And so I still have a huge amount of respect and appreciation for, for the sea. But I developed my love of the mountains as an adult. And it's it's interesting that I just was almost like naively not considering where I was going. And I admit that that's true. <laughs> Hey everyone, it's Scott here. This podcast is a passion project for me because I absolutely love adventure. And it's thanks to the effort of my residential real estate team here in Charlotte, North Carolina, that many of you know as the W Realty Group, that this podcast gets funded. This awesome group of people have unmatched levels of competence and caring for our clients. If you know of anyone looking to buy or sell a home, our team serves the Charlotte, North Carolina market, but we can also help you find an agent anywhere throughout the US or Canada through our highly connected network. When you support our real estate business, you are also supporting this podcast. Thanks for listening and thanks for your referrals. So so not really having expectations then, you show up and, and what did you find when you got there? Well, it's interesting because the first day that I showed up, I had to go to a meeting at Wyoming Game and Fish about the wolf delisting. And it was in an old saloon. <laughs> and I'm, I just walk in not knowing any of the dynamics. There's the Game and Fish folks in their red shirts. And then there's the ranchers and the outfitters in different parts of the room. And then there's the greenies. And again, I later learned that those were gross oversimplifications, but that was what my unsophisticated mind at the time could process. So I start talking to everybody in sort of the bold way that I tend to do of like, oh, how's your day going so far? What's What do you think this meeting's going to be about? And you see people kind of being like, who are you? And I've since learned to like reel in my, um, I don't consider myself an extrovert, but I consider myself outgoing. And I was sort of overwhelming folks not realizing what was about to take place and then watching the conversation happen. I then spent the rest, I stayed up really late looking up all of these terminologies and these different things about what was happening. So then it completely reshaped how I went about the rest of my, my research time because I was like, oh, I don't, I did not appreciate where I was or what was happening or the significance of the wolf reintroduction even it was it was definitely baptism by fire but in a good way yeah i love it so just found for listeners so mark you you made your way to montana through the work opportunity in the oil business hannah um if you could you just for listeners um because you've mentioned a little bit about like you know walking into the saloon and some of the work that you were doing like contextually the what was the work that you were brought to montana to do yeah, so my PhD is in environmental psychology, which is looking at basically people in places and places in people. So it takes into account the natural world as a fixture of something that impacts how you how you behave, how you think, how you relate to other people on top of that social psychology that's 
and some of the more um, well-known branches, industrial psych. So it's this way of integrating how the places that you are shaped by throughout your life also are really infused in how you go about the world. And so I was really interested, I came up as an animal behaviorist. So I used to study animal behavior and I was do, I switched gears because I realized in order to affect meaningful conservation outcomes on the ground, you have to take into account human behavior. So I really wanted to understand why the wolf conflicts were so deeply divided. Like what were the social factors? What were the environmental factors? What were some of the political factors? Because my goal has always been to help find those levers, knowing how human behavior, like how humans operate, how the psyche operates in order to help overcome those oversimplifications, um, like the categories I mentioned, in order to actually like share the landscape on the ground with each other and also the wildlife. So my dissertation was on the conflicts of coexistence with carnivores and my subsequent work was about how to overcome them. Super interesting work. And it's, you know, you guys have a love for nature and being in it and working in it, but you also, you know, are, you guys are highly academic and also bring incredibly strong minds to that work as well. So that's very cool. All right. So you guys separately come to Montana, you feel this call to nature and somehow, some way the two of you guys come together. How does that happen? We both moved to Bozeman in, in 2013. And then it wasn't till 2019, August, we were both on a dating app and we came across our profiles and we set a meeting at a coffee house and that was it for me. <laughs> that's how it's done in Montana. <laughs> that's how it's done. <laughs> yeah, it was it for me too. Especially on our second date, I met his dog and the two of them talk about uh, love. It's, yeah. So you guys, we're going to talk, you guys created a business together. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk a yeah. little bit about that. But um, so much of this business is a reflection of the people that you have brought into this relationship, the people that you've brought into this state. And you've talked a lot before this call, you've talked to me a lot about these shared values that you guys have. So before we get into the business, can we talk a little bit about those shared values that ultimately lead to this business that we're going to talk about? I think um, what we, we both brought to the table was, I think, first of all, our just love for, for people, animals, nature, you know, we were both on the same page when it came to the the love for, you know, the outdoors and animals and, you know, the people around us. We both grew up in religious, you know, backgrounds. And so we brought some of those values to the table as well. And so, you know, right away, we we had things in common that that really um you know, brought us together and and it made that attract attraction even more quickly, right? Yeah, that's that's such a good way of putting it, Mark. I I loved Mark right away because he was so he's always been so grounded. And I think there's always been that balance that we've had with one another too, but that we each know how to bring each other up and kind of keep each other settled in the in so many ways. But what was such a standout to me is like neither of us 
our partiers. Neither of us need to kind of see and be seen. We're just people who really feel so blessed to live where we do, to get to play where we do, and to get to like to get to go out and experience these wild places. I mean, after we get over the stranger danger of our first date, we always you always meet in a coffee <laughs> shop or a public place first. And that was another sign that Mark was a really good keeper because when I suggested or he suggested we meet, he's like, how about a tea house or a coffee house? And then he started like, then it was totally fine to go out in the woods with him. <laughs> but I appreciated just that, like that consideration and that consideration that he has, has always extended into the natural world. We don't recreate in places that are like, he won't go mountain biking if the trail is blown out. I won't go out on a trail if there's grizzly sign because I don't want to create a conflict that we don't need to create. Mm. And when I met him, I was actually in the middle of the field work for my book. And so I would tell him about these interviews that I'd be on and we'd brainstorm all of these ideas. And a lot of those relationships that we were, had been cultivating over the past this five years or six years before we met one another, when the pandemic hit and really our only options were to go out to really remote areas to go backpacking or hiking and to knit, which we both love doing, um, it started to help inform what kind of a business we wanted to run on top of also nourishing the relationship we were cultivating at the time too. Yeah. So, and you, but you did, so you did move from the coffee shops and the tea houses into the outdoors and you guys have recreated together. Um, but a little bit of that, like, what are some of the things that you guys love doing in Montana that kind of brought this, this all together into the business that you created? We went on a couple of dates at that point. It was okay. We need to get out into the outdoors. We had planned a day hike up to Sacagawea Peak, which is kind of, it, it's probably, to get there, it's probably an hour outside of Bozeman, but, but that's just because it's a, it's a dirt road that takes a while to get down, right? Yeah. So it's like, as a crow flies, it's not too far from Bozeman, but it takes a while to get there. So in, the, in a sense, it's kind of remote because not too many people go up there. So that was the true test. And, you know, could we, could we both be out in the outdoors and, and hiking? And, and it, it wasn't a question. It was just whether, you know, it was gonna, we were going to have fun doing it. And, you know, cause the, the first two dates we had a blast and, you know, for me, I knew this was right. Everything was just, it was right on everything about Hannah. I loved everything about her. And so like for me to continue, like it was, it was a no brainer it was kind of that test for me. Like if she could do that hike, then, you know, then, oh, this is meant to be. So <laughs> it was a test. What do you think, what do you think Hannah? <laughs> it was, I mean, it was the easiest and fun, most fun test I've ever taken for sure. So, yeah. I love it. So this thing all starts to come together and, you know, in time, Bear's Den Essentials comes to be. Can you tell us about Bear's Den Essentials? What is it? And then we can get into how it happened. Yeah. So it is our joint knitting business. So we, we sell finished knits and we also make patterns and we try to use yarn that is either local from Montana or made it or wool that was grown, spun, knit, or not knit, but knit by us. 
in the USA. And so we sell finished knits and we also do patterns. And the story of how it came to be is largely credited to Mark because I I had been knitting since I was like six. And speaking of like tests, usually like I feel like knitting is often seen as this sort of feminine activity, even though historically men actually were originally knitters as well too, especially to make like fishing nets and such. And right away, Mark was like, that's really cool. Can you teach me how to do it? I was like, I knew I already had adored him at this point, but it was like, oh, I get to share this activity that I love with him too. And so I taught him and he was phenomenal. <laughs> like when I say phenomenal, I've never, I'm not lying when I say I've never seen somebody pick it up as fast as he did. And I knew he was going to be good at it because of his software engineering brain. What I didn't expect was just how amazing he is at designing patterns and coming up all, with all of these great colorways for us. I, I want to pass it to him to just talk about his ideas about the business and and how that ties in with like the pandemic. And I was in the middle of writing a book. It was a whole, it was a weird time. Yeah, it was. So when I learned early on, probably within the first few days of meeting Hannah, that she loved to knit, I had been wanting to, at that point, for probably at least 10 years, wanting to learn how to make a hat, a knitted hat. And but I just never got around to it. I never taught myself. Um, and then, you know, I met Hannah and it was just like I knew I was waiting for something. <laughs> she immediately taught me and, you know, I made a scarf for the first time and I had a, a few glitches on it, but like I loved it. It was relaxing for me. It was like it was a way to shut my mind off, you know being a technical person and writing code um you can get really deep into into different ideas or different thoughts and and so for me to unwind it's just relaxing watching some television or you know laying on the couch or you know but if i can knit and do something mindless take those thoughts wherever they go and you know travel in my own mind, you know, while knitting, then, you know, that's a win-win. And so that's what it was for me. It was, it was a way to relax. And so my, my second thing was, it was a hat. The second thing I made was a hat and it, it was, it turned out really well. I was surprised. It was so good. It was so yeah. good. I was so nervous. I was like, I don't want him to get discouraged because I really, I'm glad that he likes it. And he's like, no, I want to do it. I was like, okay. Yeah. And, and so that hat turned into another one and, you know, another one, another one. And we were both making hats and all of a sudden we have 20, 30 hats around and we're like, okay, we have all these hats. We're probably not going to wear them all. <laughs> so, so what do we do now? Hannah mentioned, if I can remember correctly, she's like, you know, I, I've been wanting to knit as a business, you know, for a long time. And, and I was like, well, let's do it. Yeah. Let's, let's sell these hats. What I love about this is that, you know, when we were first talking and, 
and I was hearing about how you guys came to Montana and your love for the wild, your love for the wilderness and just being outdoors and, and learning more, Hannah, about what you're doing with, you know, the conflict reduction. And I didn't totally understand like the connection, but as I've gotten to know you and actually got a chance to read your book, like it makes so much more sense now. And I just wonder if you could talk about like, like actually the central product that you use in knitting, which is wool. Yeah. And I wonder how, like, if you could talk about how wool, like, brings a lot of this, a lot of this work that you guys have done together into this business. I had been a person who knit with wool and appreciated the end product. And then I did all this field work exploring how to increase um, the use of non-lethal tools for sharing the landscape with large carnivores on ranches. So inevitably, I started to get to know ranchers more. And I learned more about like all the steps of the process. And I saw what so many regeneratively minded ranchers were doing to make sure that they were encouraging carbon drawdown. So carbon sequestration for climate change mitigation, the ways in which they were trying to use wool for um, reducing a lot of the issues that fast fashion creates because fashion like Unfortunately, apparel, especially fast fashion, I think is the second greatest polluter after fossil fuels. So I learned about this, like I learned even more about something that I had been working with my whole life, but I didn't fully appreciate all of the steps in the process. And both Mark and I got, and Mark has family in the ranching business. And so he, he understands it, but we both got to develop this appreciation for the work that goes into it, the implications for what ranchers like offer ecologically, not just for for like the fashion and the the textile supply chains, but also for carnivores, which was what brought me out here in the first place. And so instead of seeing and learning about sheep as something that like was always in conflict with wildlife, I learned about these ranchers who are actually ranching in harmony with the landscape and understanding what that looked like was really inspiring to us because we one were like, oh, we can source our wool from people like this, but also we can give back to people doing the work that we really believe in. So we got to start a business that gives back, like a lot of our hats that we offer give back to different nonprofits around the area that increase the use of I purposely don't use the word coexistence. Um, happy to talk more about that, <laughs> but it's no secret that that's a very loaded word. So increased shared landscapes with wildlife. So we were getting to build a business around this product of wool. And I mean, wool is such a wonder material because it's something that can keep you both warmer and cooler depending on the climate. Um, it's really hygienic and there's so many different uses for it be it clothing or you can use it for stabilizing the sides of the road so that it um, doesn't get torn up when you have a lot of traffic or when you get the snow coming through that can kind of churn up the sides and create all of this erosion issue. So it's, it is so amazing. And we got to use this material to like effectively live our values, but we get to have so much fun yeah. designing it too. For people listening, how can they find out more about the business? How can they buy products? So you can find us online. Our web, our company is Bears Den Essentials, and our website is just bearsdenessentials.com. 
If you're a fellow knitter, we have patterns on Ravelry and Etsy as well. Um, and we offer some YouTube tutorials here and there on our on our channel. So all Bears Den Essentials and on Instagram. Love it. Well, I wonder if we could, as we kind of wrap up here, um, I want to touch on the, so you've, you've written a book, Hannah, and I, I wonder if we could just touch on that a little bit. You guys, you guys both came from a city life, from a city yeah. landscape into this big sky country with this vast landscape where we have wildlife, but you've also expressed like a love for people. So you guys have, you, you guys, the both of you have this shared love for both people and wildlife. And Hannah, this this book and this work that you've done is about um, ultimately it's about the conflict. And maybe maybe I'm not going to paraphrase. But I'm going to let you do it. But but ultimately about the conflict that happens between the people, um, their livelihood that's built into ranching, and the wildlife that potentially invades on that livelihood. Yeah. And I wonder if you could just touch on that because it plays into sheep as livestock, which ultimately mm -hmm. grows the wool that is used for the hats, <laughs> you know? I mean, it's, it's, it, and it's this whole interconnectedness. The one thing I always stay away from whenever I talk about this is talking about like who belongs on the landscape. Cause I always think that's a very dangerously misguided approach, whether that is talking about people or wildlife. But the reality is that there is, so first of all, conflict is an inherent part of being alive, even for non-human animals. And us human animals who have these handy prefrontal cortexes that we sometimes forget to use, we have this both like challenge and responsibility of thinking about how to mediate really difficult conflicts, both with one, with one another, so other people, but also the wildlife. And so I've always really... As I mentioned, I used to be really into working directly with animals. I wanted to be Jane Goodall when I grew, was growing up. I'm still waiting to grow up, but I know I'm not going to be the next Jane Goodall, but I'm, I'm Hannah. And I was really interested in the human piece because I do think the reality is, is that there are these ranchers on the landscape. They play a critical role in our economy, in our food systems. And there's all of this comp complexity of what it means to be a rancher in the 21st century. And what I was seeing when I was doing my dissertation field work was a number of ranchers who were really taking on this responsibility of like, not only like tolerating these animals, but making it, taking it a next step further to actually think about how to share the landscape in a way that doesn't just allow them to continue doing their job, but also actually makes the landscape even better for themselves and the natural world. And I was absolutely fascinated by that because it's not like they're getting paid in spades to go and do that. And so for me, the question that drove this work was like, I know what drives me, what drives these people? And I was fascinated by these intrinsic values of folks that like, it is my responsibility to be a steward of the land and I don't necessarily like wolves or grizzly bears, or some folks do, but I recognize that it's my responsibility to use all of the tools in the toolkit. That was the expression that I always heard was, I'm gonna use all the tools in the toolkit to share the landscapes with these animals. And, you know, for me, I think the challenge with a lot of the environmental work, and my advisor in grad school wrote a paper about this, is that it's very doom and gloom. So it's apocalyptic environmentalism was the expression she used. 
And I found so much hope and promise in these people who are all self, like they all admit that they are imperfect individuals, not doing everything perfectly, but they're always willing to try creative things and to see what they can do to make it a little bit better. And it's that like growth mindset that was so inspiring to me. And it gave me so much hope about the ability to actually address some of our challenges. We live in a place that's just north of where the grizzly bears are in the gravelly mountains. And so much of that natural repopulation that's happening, which admittedly has a lot of, it's still conflict-laden interpersonally, but that's happening because of the fact that there are all of these collaborative problem-solving efforts happening on the ground, and so, many of which are landowner-led. And so it just blew me out of the water to see that happening. And again, it goes back to like this love story. Like I get so passionate about these people. I get so passionate about where we live and the work that we do because it gives me so much hope and it gives me so much energy. And then I get to share that with the person that I love who is also deriving energy from it as well. So it's this book is sort of, an imperfect set of stories about how to find hope and how to move forward in a way that I think other people, my hope is that they can enjoy and appreciate. I love it. It's, I, I, I love the work that, that the two of you guys are doing and I love how you've brought it together in this, this knitting business, um, bears den essentials. You guys have answered the call to adventure. You started off in the city and you have answered the call to adventure. And I'm just curious um, for both of you, if you could offer some advice to anybody else that maybe has felt that call to adventure, but hasn't yet acted as you guys did to answer that call. Um, I have a lot of friends in California that said, Hey, Mark, you did it. You went out and you followed your dreams. And to me, it was a no brainer. You know, and but a lot of people don't think that way. A lot of people don't take that first step. My advice is is just take that first step and see where it takes you because you're gonna be surprised and you're gonna probably love it. So it makes me really emotional yeah. thinking about it. Yeah. And so but it's it's such a like just take the step. That's that's all I can say. Take the step. Hannah, how about you? I'm gonna get emotional too thinking about it. Like Somebody once asked me why I cared so much about animals and pursuing the kind of work that I did and the values I had. And my response to them, however, a little bit big for my britches that it was at the time when I said it was that I just think the world's more interesting when I'm not the only one in it. And I am an only child who grew up with dogs, but also hung out by myself a lot. And so I think I have really come to appreciate just the nourishment that animals and nature can really offer a person's soul. But also like for me, I, I think it's so worth it because it's also opened me up to people, not like my husband, my friends, my community that I have, like you talk about six degrees of Kevin Bacon in Montana, it's more like two. And you, you typically know a friend of a friend and I really just appreciate that. And I think if you don't take, as Mark said, if you don't take that first step and follow your beliefs, like you miss out on all of these really rich experiences that you might not have 
experienced before. And I, I think as scary and uncomfortable as it can be, it's also really rich and fulfilling. And I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. This is a love story. <laughs> the love story about you guys, your love for Montana, the wild, wildlife. And we all know that Hollywood loves a love story. And so what I want to know is when Hollywood picks up on this love story and they decide to make a movie about you guys, I want to know who are going to be the actors that are going to play you guys in this movie. There's two that come to mind. One, the reason I pick her is because she's a fellow millennial who can take herself pretty seriously at times, but is also like surprisingly like really silly and fun to listen to in interviews. And that's Anne Hathaway. So Nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anne Hathaway. Love it. Mark? There's a number of actors that I've been told I look a lot like, but I would have to say the most I got was for Matt Damon. <laughs> I, I would have to go with Ooh, This is going to be a good cast, you guys. What's this movie going to be called? With Montana, it is love. <laughs> yeah, love it. With Montana, it is love starring Anne Hathaway and Matt Damon. It's going to be an Oscar winner. I, I love it. It's going to be fantastic. You guys, thank you so much for spending some time here with me today. I really appreciated hearing your story, learning about Bears Den Essentials. And uh, people definitely need to check it out. Go to the website, buy some wool. It is environmentally friendly. It's comfortable. And um, yeah, thank you guys so much. And for those listening, I hope you've been inspired today as much as I have. I hope that Hannah and Mark's story has encouraged you to listen to the voice inside that calls you to adventure because we want to hear your story next. If you have a story to tell or just need a nudge to create one, please send me an email. We'd also appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word by leaving a review and sharing or tagging Inspire Campfire in your social media. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thanks for listening. Hannah, Mark, thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you, Scott. <laughs>